Man, it is so good to see all of you. If you're a guest here online, we're glad you're here. My name's David. I am the pastor. I must say, uh, you look a lot like the crowd we had about a year ago at this time. If you get my drift on that a little bit, it's good to see people worshiping the Lord in the times we live in. And uh, that's just great to have all of you here. Hey, uh, in, in two weeks in July, we have a new series starting up called Songs in the Key of Life. Yeah, I stole that from CB Wonder, but some of you aren't old enough to understand that, but uh, it's a, an album from the 70s, but I call it Stevie, he's good with it. And uh, we're, it, it's out of the Psalm, Psalm 1, Psalm 23, Psalm 119, Psalm 150. I'm not actually going to preach it. The other pastors on staff are going to do it and we're working on it. I'm really looking forward to being a part of that. I think you're going to be blessed by a message and series out of the Psalms. And then in, in March, we'll start our Easter stuff and I'll be doing that, uh, the cross of Christ. Uh, right now, we're just looking at life um, and understanding that, that sometimes life doesn't make sense, and I get that, and uh, things happen in our life to us individually. You live long enough, trust me, and, and it's a lot of times that things don't make sense. And, and what happens in your personal life, we don't understand why these things happen. Why is this happening to me? This doesn't make sense. And, and so when that happens, who do we turn to? I mean, who, who are we going to trust when, when life doesn't really make sense? And so we're, we're, our series is about the one who makes sense of it all. It's about God. And so far we have seen the one who makes sense of it all is the one who is holy. He is the one who reveals himself to us. He is the one who created. And we're going to bring, and the series brings all that together. You kind of build on each message. And today we're going to look at the one who is just. And in a few moments I'm going to be in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Uh, in Acts chapter 17, Paul is on his second evangelistic journey. And uh, it started, you know, in Acts 16, you see the beginning of it. It's about 4950 uh, A.D. He ends up in the area of uh, Europe, Macedonia. That's just beginning of his European ministry. Uh, he starts off in Philippi. You see in Acts 16. Then after there, he goes to Thessalonica, an important city in Macedonia. He has a great deal of success in sharing the gospel. Both Jews and Gentiles come to faith. But uh, the Jews, Jewish leaders get jealous, and, and along with some of the Gentile leadership of the city, and they run Paul out. Uh, Paul goes to Berea. He's run out of there. He leaves behind Timothy and Silas to do ministry there. He ends up going to Athens and then to Corinth. And while in Corinth, Paul uh, has Silas and Timothy come back and they share what's going on in Thessalonica. And the church is, is growing, it's reaching people, but there are problems. There's problems dealing with false teachers and there's problems dealing with persecution. The persecution is not the same type of persecution I talked about last week from the book of Revelation when I was there, where they were being put to death, going to prison. This persecution was the beginning kind of stages. It was pressure to go back to your old way of life. It was pressure they cut off from their family. They'd be cut off from the economic uh, necessities of life and from work. They'd be cut off and pressure to come back and to conform. And it was a real struggle, a real pressure. Paul deals with that in the two letters he writes in about 50 AD. He writes them a few months apart. And so we come to 2 Thessalonians at the very beginning of the book there. This is what we see in verse 5. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment, so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which indeed you are suffering. For after all, it is only right for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted, along with us, when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These people will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified among his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you 
was believed. So here's the thing that I want you to see from the message today. It's very simple. God is just. And for life to make sense, we must know and believe that a holy and just God will one day set things right. It's important to get this. A just God, if he's truly just and holy, will one day set all things right. It's good to know in a world where there seems to be a lot of sin, a lot of evil, a lot of lack of justice. And so as I begin this message today, I'm going to have it in two parts. As I come to the passage and kind of work our way through it, I just want to remind you, God is just. That's what this passage really is about. And uh, we live in a time, obviously, where people are concerned about justice. People have always been concerned about justice, by the way. I know every generation thinks they're the generation that's concerned about true justice. I know that. I grew up in the 70s. We were concerned about justice. Every generation, every, I mean, American history is the history of justice playing itself out. So never, never take that for granted. But the critical thing is, how do we understand justice? And so I'm not going to give you a definition, but let me give you a framework that will help you in your life. Um, Justice conforms to the revelation of a holy God. Justice always conforms. True justice, real justice, conforms to the revelation of a holy God. Now, we've been talking about God being holy, which means he is complete, separate to himself, perfect in every way, in need of nothing. And because God is holy, independent from what he created, that which is sinful cannot come into his presence. God reveals to us who he is. He reveals to us even in a general way. We saw a couple of weeks ago through creation, through internally, but also specifically he, deals with, he reveals himself to us through his revelation we call scripture, ultimately in Jesus Christ. God is creator. And with his creating ability, he has unbelievable power. He has the power to expect things from us, which leads us to understand something about God being just and justice. And the temptation in the world we live in always is to think of justice in terms of our culture. And I get that. I, I did it, did it growing up, still do it. And to take sides, this side or that side, and everything dealing about justice. Just let me remind you, this is so important, especially the younger you are, the more important that this is, even, even though all of us are older. Our understanding of justice must always come from God. It does not come from the culture. It does not come from your political affiliations. I don't care what your political affiliations are. I don't care if you're Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, whatever, 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 whatever. I don't care about any of that stuff. None of that matters. They, they cannot determine, your political and your social affiliations cannot determine your understanding of justice. Instead, right off the bat, God must do that. Because your culture is not ultimately going to hold you accountable for what you believe. The culture is not the one you have to answer to. You have to answer to God. And we're in a passage about that, about really about judgment. Paul is kind of fast-forwarding to the Thessalonians to the judgment. And, and, and the judgment of God is, in, in, in many ways, the ultimate form of justice. And so they're, they're kind of synonymous in the passage we're in. In verse 3 and 4, Paul shares that he knows the people at Thessalonica are suffering. They're being persecuted, and they're experiencing hardship. It results in suffering. And in the midst of that, he says, you have been faithful. And you have endured. And it's to their, to their praise. And now he gives them really a word of comfort. He gives them a word of encouragement about for them, about what's going to happen. So they'll understand that even though they're suffering, not to lose heart. And so he lays out in verse 5 through 10 the, the, the comfort that he gives them. And there's really, it's kind of in, in three sections. And so we'll, we'll kind of take it one section at a time. And the first is this. What Paul shares with them is God's judgment is certain. There's a certain absoluteness that God is going to set all things right. And we see this in verse 5, 6, in the first part of verse 7. So here's what verse 5 says. We'll go back over the passage of it. All this, what is all this? All that suffering you've been going through. All that is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you're suffering. He says, you're suffering for being a follower of Jesus. Now understand this. 
man, and, and, and we, we should understand this some, just in general, and, and we've seen this in some of the prior messages, man has rebelled against God. Because we have rebelled against God, God is every, every right, God is totally right, just, in, in holding us accountable for that. But what God has determined to do is give us an opportunity to set things right by coming to him through faith in Jesus. So he sent Jesus. God sent Jesus, and he did everything for us to have what we call salvation. These people at Thessalonica who were the Christians have believed. Paul went and preached the gospel there, and they believed. And now because they believed in Jesus, those who were in rebellion against God were causing them to suffer. And so Paul is saying is this. The evidence that you're suffering, uh, the fact that you're suffering is evidence that God's judgment, that his judgment is right, that it's correct, that it meets the standard that God holds. Because here's what's happened. You're following Jesus, and the people who are rebelling against Jesus are now taking their rebellion out on you. So God is right in his judgment against them. He's also right in his judgment for you. The judgment's a neutral, neutral work either way. Because you are worthy does not mean you deserve it. But because you have given evidence, you are showing that you are part of the kingdom of God for which you're suffering. So Paul is saying what's happening to you, this difficulty you're going through is, is, a, is a mark. It's a, it's a drawing a line in the sand. It's, it's giving evidence. It's giving evidence that some people are followers of Christ and some are not. So it's proving out what God is going to do is just. And in verse 6 says this, God is just. And he will pay back trouble to those who trouble you. Now, uh, I, I read the originally, I read it from the New American Standard, which is my preferred uh, version. But when I'm explaining it, I'm going through NIV. It's a little smoother. God is just. He is righteous. The word just, the word righteous, the same thing. It comes from the same Greek word. It means that it has to do with the standard of God. God is a holy God. And as a holy God and, and pure and separate unto himself, he is by definition, righteous. For us to be in relationship with God, there has to be a righteousness, and we can't be righteous because of our sin. So one of the things we understand is that God is just because those who have come to Christ, those who are rebelling not only against God, but who are troubling them, who are putting pressure on them, the word trouble is affliction and pressure, he is, he is just to in turn put pressure back on them. In other words, to judge them. Now, we need to be careful and not get the wrong idea. This is, this is not a lack of mercy on God's part. God is showing mercy by giving people the opportunity to be saved. The mercy and grace of God is in providing the opportunity of salvation. He doesn't have to do that. He is talking about his people who are suffering for their faith. And he is saying, Paul is saying, God, God is just in doing this. This is not, you know, we live in a, in a time now where everybody talks about karma. I don't know if they know what karma really means or not. Most people don't. But this idea of, you know, kind of an eye for an eye, you know, you know if you do something bad, something bad's going to happen to you. Karma is a totally non-Christian concept, by the way. Christians who talk about karma, stop doing that. Study it. It's, it's an Eastern metaphysical concept based on a completely different worldview than the Christian worldview. It is thoroughly pagan in its origins and roots. And it has no place for mercy and has no place for compassion and no place for love. God is a loving, compassionate God. That's why he sent Jesus. But a loving, compassionate job, God at some point has to set things right. He has to show that that which is in rebellion against him has to give an account. Those who were, were reflecting them will be afflicted. And then in verse 7, the first part of that says this, but he will also then give relief to those who are troubled or rest, which is us as well. So God, in his judgment, is going to do two things. He's going to look at those people who have rebelled against him and look at those people who have followed Jesus. Part of the evidence of what he's looking at, as have those of you who have followed Jesus, have you suffered for that and been found to be faithful? And those who rebel against him, are they in turn rebelling against or causing the affliction of believers? God is just in what he does. So God's judgment is certain. It's certain. It's going to happen. The second thing I want you to see, though, is that God's judgment 
is, uh, takes place at Jesus' return. When will this occur? When Christ returns. Now, we always want to see justice in our lifetime. I get that, but we don't always see it. Now, remember, Paul is writing to a group of people who were being afflicted. He's writing to a group of people who are suffering. He's giving them comfort. He's giving them encouragement. He's not saying that your affliction will end soon. He's not saying, hey, wait, give it a couple of weeks and everything will be okay. He's not saying if you pray enough or go pray harder or give more money. He's not saying any of those things. He's not saying your faith is insufficient. He is saying you're suffering, but understand there will come a point where that will end. He says for certain, here's when it's going to end. When Jesus returns, and what he gives here in verse 7, the rest of verse 7 through verse 9 is a, is a when, a who, and a what. When is it going to end? When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. When Jesus is revealed, the word revealed is the Greek word apocalypse. Our, our, the book of Revelation is the apocalypse. It's an unveiling. When the Lord Jesus comes from heaven, he, he's unveiled. When he returns again. Whatever happens between now and then, we don't always know for sure, but understand this. When Jesus comes, he sets all things right. When Jesus is going to come back, he's going to settle affairs. He's going to settle all accounts. He's going to do it, he says, with fire, which represents the purity and, and represents the judgment that is to come. Uh, and he's going to bring his angels, the powerful angels with him. And don't get all caught up in all the angels. This happens all the time. Whenever angels are mentioned, people drop everything to try to figure out what angels and what it means. It just means angels. <laughs> Here, messengers come, and the focus isn't on the angels. If you focus on the angels, you miss the point of the whole thing. The focus is on Jesus. He gives the when, and he gives the who. Here's who he's talking about in verse 8. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. We struggle with this verse. I, I get it. As 21st century Americans, the idea of God punishing people, it's kind of it's be hard for us to, to grasp sometimes. But notice what he's saying right here. He's talking about people who do something. They choose not to know God. They don't know God personally, and they don't obey the gospel. These are not two separate group of people. This, this, this is one category of people. The word knowledge here does not mean that they're ignorant about who God is. It means they don't have a relationship with God. They don't know God from the personal standpoint. They have chosen not to know God. Everybody in Thessalonica had the opportunity to know Jesus Christ. They all had the opportunity to hear the gospel. He preached the gospel. The Jews heard it. Gentiles heard it. They all had the chance to believe. The church was there. That church was there preaching the gospel week in and week out. People had the opportunity. They have chosen to rebel and not have a relationship with God, and they have chosen not to obey. He's talking about those who have not chosen to obey. He gives then, you know, the what is going to happen in verse 9. Here's what he says. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord, from the glory of his might. And I know it's sometimes it's hard for us to grasp this. And, and, and you know, especially, you know, we want the idea of God being merciful and forgiving is so ingrained in us as Christians. And, and, and it should be. It's an important part because we've experienced it. But part of the mercy of God and part of the love of God, and we'll see this more next week in love, is that he loves us enough to give us the freedom to reject him. And this is exactly what he's talking about. There are those who reject him. They're going, they get the consequences of the rejection, everlasting destruction. What he's saying is they have chosen to live their life apart from me. I will give them what they want. They will be shut out from the presence of his glory and might. So in other words, it's not that, it's not that they will not experience any of the presence of God. In fact, they will experience the presence of God in terms of suffering because they have rejected him. Uh, I have a far side calendar. I don't know if anybody else does that. And I grew up looking at the far side. Every year my wife gives me a far side calendar. A lot of the far side pictures are set in hell. 
you know, and they're kind of, kind of funny and cute, and I, and I, and I like them. And, and it's always Satan with the pitchfork and some, maybe some other demons, and, and there's stuff all over the place. And, and that's kind of sometimes our view is that Satan's in control of hell. He rules hell, which is not the truth at all. Hell was prepared for Satan. Satan is spending eternity in hell, not as the Lord of hell, but as the primary occupant of hell. Because he rebelled ultimately against God. And those who choose to rebel with him have in themselves decided they want to side with those in opposition to God. They get to be with those in opposition to God. God gives us freedom. But freedom always has a responsibility to be accountable for it. In Genesis chapter 2, uh, God has Adam. He says, Adam, here's the garden. Eve hadn't come on the scene yet. Okay? So this is pre-everything. And he says, you can eat of any tree you want. There's, there's an orange tree, you can have that. There's a peach tree, you can have that. There's a money tree, I don't know what that's good for, you can have that. Yeah. But here's this one tree you can't have. The tree in the middle... The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We'll just call it the apple tree. Don't eat of that, Adam. Because the minute you eat of it, that day you eat, you will die. He tells them straight up what's going to happen. You have freedom. You even have the freedom of that tree. I'm not physically keeping you from eating from it. I'm morally telling you you can't eat of it. Because if you do, there's a consequence. Listen, God always makes sure we know the consequences. There's a consequence to rebelling against him. We choose to do it anyways. So who's at fault? God is just giving us what we ask for. We don't want to be in your presence, God. We don't want to worship you, God. We don't want to serve you, God. We want you to leave us alone in this life. And if you want him to do it in this life, guess what? He's going to do it in the life to come. Because that's what you chose. You took your freedom. And you used it to push God away. God's judgment is certain. God's judgment takes place when Jesus comes. But understand this. This is so important too. God's judgment justifies those who are followers of Jesus. His judgment is absolutely justification. Because part of it is, hey, God, I follow Jesus. I suffer. Now, you know, let's be honest. In 21st century America, we really don't suffer. But in most of the world today and throughout Christian history, Christians have suffered. They were suffering. And we may suffer. Suffering may come. The world's becoming a little more hostile to us, isn't it? That's all right. Don't, don't sweat that stuff out. If our culture becomes hostile to the faith, just all I can tell you is welcome to the rest of Christianity. We've escaped it long enough. And so what, what is there then for us? In verse 10, it shares with us and tells us. Here's what it says. On the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people. Do you realize God's going to be glorified in his holy saints, us? To be marveled mad among those who believe. It's, it's just, that's kind of a parallel f- phrase. It includes you because you believe. We, we think of Jesus coming in all his glory, and he will. And the glory of, of Christ and the glory of God is, is the holiness being revealed. He's going to come. But when he comes in that glory, that glory is going to be seen in those who believe. In us who are saints. In us. Because we have faith. This is, what, this is what it means. And I'll just put it this way. This may not be doctrinally you know, smoothing and, and make everybody, you know, in all the theology classes and all the seminaries happy. But here's what it means. When he comes, we're going to speak, those who are followers of Jesus, we're going to be shown to have been right. We were right to follow Christ. 
Now, we're not going to gloat about it. I was right, you were wrong. Ha, ha, ha. You're in hell and I'm in heaven. See you later. You know, that's not what, that's not what we're talking about. That's your attitude. You need to work on it. <laughs> you need to go down to preschool and let them help you with the attitude and work you up through children. Get you there. But it's the comfort. It's the satisfaction of knowing, yes, I was right. I followed Christ with my life through his grace and faith. Yes, he did it. But he saved me. And I endured the suffering. I endured the difficulty. See, here's the thing. The judgment is God putting everything and everyone in its proper place. It is the ultimate justice. The ultimate form of justice is at the judgment. Whatever else you may believe about the judgment of God and whatever else you may believe about the end times and knock yourself out, whatever, understand this. God will set all things right. So, in this world that I live in now, in all the frustrations and all the things that don't make sense, here's what does make sense. We can take comfort in knowing that God is just. I take comfort in knowing that God is just. You need to take comfort in that. If you're not a follower of Christ, you don't need to take comfort in that. That should scare you. People who are not followers of Christ hate when we talk about the justice of God, because the justice of God scares them. As a follower of Christ, I'm good to go. It doesn't bother me. So the next thing that I want to share with you then is to try to understand this a little bit and, and to get down really to the issue that really affects us, and that's sin. God doesn't ignore sin. He doesn't. That's what he's telling them in Thessalonians. He says, God doesn't. The people who are persecuting you in their sin and rebellion, God's not going to ignore it. We have a holy God. We have a God who reveals what he expects from us. We have a God who created us, who has the power to have those expectations. That God is a just God, and he understands sin as rebellion. And ultimately, that's what it boils down to. They're suffering because of their rebellion, their sin. Listen, life, what we struggle with so much in life And what seems so unfair and what what seems so difficult is that sin somehow gets to win out. And it just, it affects us in so many ways. It affects our health. It affects our families. It affects our jobs. It affects what we think is right and wrong. And sometimes sin just seems to get the better end of the deal. And life doesn't make sense. But understand, punishment is the consequence of sin. And if God is just, sin cannot go unpunished. Now, if God is truly just, sin cannot go unpunished. We should understand that. Because in every culture, we have things that we say are right and wrong. And if you break the wrongs of the culture, if you do what's wrong, our culture wants to punish you. Now, what's right and wrong may change. You know? I've seen in my lifetime things that were unacceptable become acceptable. I've seen in my lifetime things that are acceptable become unacceptable. And whether that's good or bad, I don't know. But culture is always changing. That's why you can't take your sense of justice from the culture. Here's the thing you need to realize. This is so important. It's God who determines what is sin and what is just. God, you know why God gets to determine that? Because he made everything. Remember the sermon last week? God created everything. Listen, when you create, you get to make the determinations. You, you, you make up a game, you get to determine the rules of the game. I mean, you, you, get to, you start a business, it's your business. 
Theoretically, <laughs> you get to determine how your business is run, theoretically. It doesn't always work out, I know that. But with God, it always works out. And I, and I know we struggle, and, and I know that can be hard for us because we live in a world, and, and we see so much of sin, and we see so much that goes wrong, and it affects us in so many ways. Sometimes it just seems that sin and evil and wrongness wins, and we don't know why. And we know, God, do something about it. God, just, can you do a little bit about it? God, we want you, we want you to fix some of these things. Remember what I said earlier in the series? God is patient. Because what is God doing? He's giving people time to come to salvation. Why didn't God just bring justice right now? Because the ultimate justice is the judgment. And when that happens, there's no more opportunities for people to come to salvation. God is giving people the chance to come to Jesus. He is being patient in allowing this play out. And so sometimes there's a lack of justice. And sometimes innocent people suffer. And sometimes things don't make sense in our life. And our life gets messed up and it doesn't seem right. We want God to do something about it. God, do something. Because here's the thing about sin. Sin is devastating. Sin destroys life. Sin takes away the dignity of people. Sin is destructive to all humanity. I mean, sin is the great enemy of us. And we have sided with our enemy. Why won't God do something? Well, he has. Romans 5, 8. And by the way, I'm preaching from Romans 5, 8. I think the third Sunday in March, I think. This is what Paul writes. For God showed his great love to us. And when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you realize what God did? The justice of God put God to a place where he said, hey, here's what I'm going to do. I'm a holy God and I'm a just God. Here's what a just God's going to do. He's going to come. Jesus, God in the flesh, he's going to come and give his life for us so that we can have a way back to God. And if we'll just trust him, that'll set all things right. Do you realize if you will just trust Jesus with your life, in your life, God sets all things right. He takes your sin and forgives it. Takes your rebellion and he pushes it aside. And he saves you in Christ. And he forgives you. He did something about it. You see, a holy and just God is a loving God. God is merciful. But his mercy is found in Jesus. It's amazing. But here's the thing. It's so crazy. We as humans in our culture, we even reject God's mercy. Here is Jesus. And we reject Jesus. Paul went to Thessalonica to the Jews who should know better. He preached Jesus. Some believed. But some rejected and ran him out of town. The Gentiles ran him out of town. They took the one way back to God. This one unbelievable act of mercy. And they completely rejected it. And people reject it today. And now we live in a time where people say, well, you Christians, you know, God, they're so intolerant and unloving and exclusive. There should be many ways to get to God. This is incredible that we think this, that it's okay for us to create our own ways to God. Well, I just, I don't want to do the Christ way. I'm just going to create my own way to God, or even I'll take Jesus, and I'm going to change Jesus up to fit what I want him to fit. I'm going to make a designer Jesus, and this better be okay with God. We rebel against God, rebel against God, then God gives us a way to him, and we still rebel against God, and then we get angry with God. 
We get mad at God because he won't accept our way, the way we want to come up with to come to him. Well, I don't like what the Bible says about that. I'm going to tear that out. Well, I don't like that teaching of the faith. I'm just going to say that didn't really happen that way. God reveals himself to us, and we take the revelation of God, and we erase it and tear it out and cast it aside and create our own way, and then we get upset when God won't accept that. Because we are in rebellion against God. And here's the thing. God will let you get away with that for a little while. Because he's given you the chance to repent. He'll let you persecute his people for a little while to give you the chance to repent. The guy who wrote Thessalonians was the guy who once persecuted the church like no man had ever persecuted it. And God gave Paul a chance to repent. But there will come a time when there will be no more time. And while life may not make sense now to you and me as followers of Jesus, or even to a non-follower of Jesus, understand life will make sense. So here's the thing. Life makes sense, and we take comfort in knowing that God sets all things right. When I wrote this, as a part of the sermon, when I sat down and I was writing, I don't actually write my sermon, I just write stuff, and somehow it comes together which sometimes shows. <laughs> I took such comfort when I, and I wrote these words down. I took such comfort in remembering that in a world that doesn't make sense, eventually God will set all things right. And I'm kind of like, well, if that's good enough for God, let's just go with that. There will come a time when there'll be no more forgiveness, be no more chance. There will come a time when you won't have the opportunity by grace through faith to be saved. There will come a time when in your life, God will set things right. At that time, will you have trusted Christ to be your savior? Some of you need to take comfort that while your life doesn't make sense right now, you have followed Jesus. And at some point, He'll set it right. Smile and have joy. No matter what the pain is now, one day, he'll set it right. For some of you who will only set it right in your life, come to Christ. If you haven't come to Christ, whether you're watching online or here, you need to give your life to Jesus. You need to trust Jesus to be your Savior. And so we invite you to trust Christ right now to save you. And he will. You can't earn your salvation. You can't come up with your own way. This is it. This is God's way. Trust Jesus. In a moment, as we have our invitation, if you want us to come and pray with you, maybe you're going through a difficult time and you want to pray with somebody, we'll, we'll, we'll pray with you. We'll be happy to do that. Maybe you need to give your life to Christ. We'll come and trust Jesus to be your Savior. You maybe you want to join our church. Maybe you just want to pray with us for one of your family members. We get that all the time. We'll, we'll do that. So I don't, I don't know what it is you need to do. I really don't. But here's what I know. Walk out of this place understanding with absolute certainty that God will set all things right. So, Father, we thank you for that. Because sometimes it's hard. It's hard to understand why things happen the way they do. And it's hard to understand why life is the way it is. 
in all our sin and all our failure, in all the rebellion of this world, God, you're so patient, you're so loving, you're so kind to give us the chance to come to salvation. But God, we need to realize there will come a time where there will be no more chances. There will come a time in our life where you will set it all straight. So God, let us give our life to you completely. Let us trust you. Let us praise you. Let us take comfort in knowing that. Father, let us give our life to Christ who is our Lord. Knowing that will set all things straight. That will make us right with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? We'll be here at the front.